Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And before an excellent podcast, quick shout out to our sponsor, Brex. Brex is a credit card for startups, the first one ever. It's fantastic. They don't require a personal guarantee by the founder. That is a huge, huge deal. Also has great integration with QuickBooks, which makes life easy for your accountant. And finally, they have really good rewards. They do startup-centric rewards, so like bonuses on ride-sharing and travel and eating out and things like that, all things that appeal to the whole team at a startup. So check out Brex, and if you go through their sign-up and type in Cruise, you get a discount. Hopefully you enjoy Brex, and thanks so much, guys, for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And my very special guest today is Andre Garakarnian from Silicon Legal Strategy. Welcome, Andre. Hi, it's great to be here. <laughs> uh, so we, you were actually the focus of a really cool article that our marketing team put together, which is tons of data on the best, I kind of would call it like boutique law firm for startups. Yeah, yeah. And that's how we got to meet. Charles Hudson put us in touch, but we went to lunch, had a great time, and I was like, hey, Andre, do you want to be on the podcast? And you sure, were yeah. very nice and joined us. <laughs> So maybe you can start off by just giving folks your background and like how you started Silicon Legal. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, I, I started practicing law uh, about uh, 20 years ago in Chicago at Mayor Brown. Uh, large, you know, McFirm, thousand lawyers in the building. <laughs> McFirm. Uh, Is that like a McDonald's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. Uh, high volume. Um, you know, initially doing a lot of Fortune 100, uh, M&A, uh, capital markets kind of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved over to doing some private equity and venture capital work. Oh. Followed a woman out to the Bay Area. Was that your future wife? Not my wife. <laughs> I'm, and, I'm uh, glad that's how that ended. Right yeah, there. Right? And uh, uh, joined Oryx Emerging mm-hmm. Companies Group. This is back in I think 2004. Yeah. Uh, joined Oryx Emerging Companies Group, uh, working for clients like Facebook, Video8, Mebo, Rocky, Pandora. You know, New Web, High Flyers. Wow. In their early days. Yeah. And you know, pra- practice focused almost exclusively on early stage startups and, and venture capital investors. Yeah. Yep. And once you start you know, uh, getting more and more involved in that practice, it, it just has this certain magnetism, a certain pull. You're asking yourself, should I, should I start something? Yeah. Should I join a startup? What should I do? And well, uh, is it? And let me ask you: Is it the magnetism, like the of the founders, or just the way they see the world, or the, the, the reframing of your world, or what? What do you think that is? I feel the same way. I yeah. get the same exact vibes. It all comes together. I think, yeah. particularly the the sense of purpose that the founders have. You know, coming from a, a Fortune 100 environment where you're essentially assisting number four in Treasury. Uh, on a daily basis yeah. so they can go home at five. Yeah, yeah. Versus someone who's really out there trying to do something just incredibly exciting. Yeah. There's a passion and it, it's infectious. Yeah. The, the overall environment of being here in Silicon Valley also infectious uh, and how we frame the world and how we frame possibility. Yeah. And it just gets you thinking. It gets your mind spinning. Yeah. And in the course of, of that... Uh, I met someone who was a former colleague of my Oric colleagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, at that time, the, the bulk of the Oric Menlo Park office uh, were people who were former venture law group attorneys. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this was a former venture law group colleague of theirs who was younger than I was, but had started his own practice. Uh-huh. 
And I was intrigued by this notion of being able to market and sell legal services to these kinds of clients yeah. as a solo practitioner. Yep. Um, it's so it not, wasn't even you know, building a firm, wasn't it? Part of it, it was just like, can you do it? Can you do it by yourself, kind of thing? Yeah, Pay not, the bills. Not in the early, yeah, in the early yeah. days, it was this idea of uh, of starting something on my own. I had a lot of philosophies and beliefs around representing startups and venture capital investors. Yeah. I thought there was a, an art to it. Yeah, and so let me just take that art on on the road myself. Yeah, yeah. and so it was initially just myself and a, and a part-time paralegal had been sort of baking the idea for a bit. I knew I was going to leave about 14 months or so before I did. Mm -hmm. uh, got the wife on board with the idea, uh, put money aside, uh, started planning out the business, and also really took a lot of steps to hone my network. Yeah, that's uh, smart. Hosting a lot of events, um, speaking on panels. There, there was a time in 2006, early 2007, you know, right before I launched, when there were a ton of uh, startup events in the city yeah. that the founders actually went to. Mark Zuckerberg went to it. Uh, Michael Birch from Bebo was there. I mean, like, people were actually there. Now yeah. it's all service it, providers yeah, yeah, like yeah, us. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, little yeah, different yeah. environment. Uh, but there was, I, and I, I was really able to establish myself, I think, as, as the young, present lawyer, particularly in the San Francisco yeah. uh, startup scene. And so built that reputation and made the jump. Initially was was a virtual office, you know, in Palo Alto. I lived in the city, lived in the marina, but had a Palo Alto address because I was scared to death about having a non a non peninsula based address. Well, in San Francisco wasn't quite as big a tech hub back then, probably, yeah. right? It all happened kind of in the two thousand tens. That's right. You know, yeah. So that's it, hilarious. So you know, had the optics right. Yeah. You know, took a few clients with me, had a few clients waiting in the wings for when I was doing a lot of networking. Yeah. And, um, Did you have like that moment of anxiety? Like you let you walked out of the building at Oric for the first time or last time, and then you're like, "Woo, okay, I'm on my own. Let's do this." I think I had more anxiety before doing it, mm -hmm. actually. Yeah. Because there's just you've got to explain yourself. Uh, inevitably, the to, oh, to the Oric people to, or to to Oric to yeah. everybody. Yeah. You know that you're to, to those who are in the know before you do it. Yeah. You know. Um, you got to explain yourself, and there's a you're under a little bit of a microscope. Yeah. People are, are looking at you yeah. funny, like why would you do this? Yeah. You know. But then coming back to that sense of purpose you talked about, like I feels like most people would understand. I think I, I, I definitely had a lot of supporters. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I would say that the, in the legal industry, there's still less imagination, even in Silicon Valley. Yeah, it might be a little more risk averse or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but definitely had had believers. People could feel my passion. Yeah. And then as, as soon as I made the jump, and I, I would bet that a lot of the founders are saying the same thing in, in your other podcasts, as soon as you make the jump, that type of anxiety goes away, and then it's more of a, of a sense of urgency. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of like, I have to execute now. Yeah. Like day one is like, okay, it, it's on you. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're the hunter-gatherer. Yeah, you're there's no excuses. Did you have a, I'm just reflecting because your story is very similar to Vanessa's, my, my wife and our mm -hmm. founder. And I remember like she left the company she worked at got bought and she left and she started a cruise and I watched her fill her book of business and she, and she was like no project, no company was too small for her. Like she would do everything and then kind of level up over time. 
was that how you were or how did you how did you be smart about the projects you took on versus maybe overextending yourself you know when i when i was in the planning stages before i actually made the jump i spent a lot of time thinking about clients yeah thinking about the kinds of clients that i wanted yeah because I, I had noticed in a, in a big law firm context that there, there wasn't a filter that I thought was appropriate. Uh-huh. That there were clients, particularly from a personality standpoint or from a collaborative, uh, collaborative mindset standpoint, w- were not, in my opinion, up to par. Yeah. And so I had sort of drawn up my own ideas around what a good client uh, was. And I would say definitely in the early days, though, you're a little bit more nervous. So yeah. there are clients that I took on. There were, there were moments where I was willing to walk the line in terms of some of those client ideals and, and values. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would say I would pride myself on, on having been pretty uh, or as resolute as I could be on yeah. that. I, you know, I, I fired my first client within 12 months of wow. starting Silicon it's funny you say that because I, fe- I feel like you thought about it ahead of time. We had a moment where um, probably like a, I think it was three years in for Vanessa and then right when I joined where we had to fire like our largest client because they weren't a very nice, they weren't being nice, mm-hmm. not a productive work relationship. And it was so, we were so nervous and then we did it and like we had freed so much emotional energy oh, yeah. that we actually grew so fast for like the next three months. Oh, yeah. Because we, re- we had this moment where we we're like, oh my God, we've been spending so much emotional energy on this person and we haven't been servicing our best clients as mm-hmm. much as we could have. And so we put that positive energy into them and then they referred and it all went crazy, oh, yeah. you know? And so like we probably should have been a little more more introspective early on maybe than how you were but it, I guess you kind of have to learn yeah it, yeah. it, it can really bite you yeah. and that 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 emotional time suck that the, the, the energy associated with servicing those clients who regardless of what you do or are, just don't view you as a valuable yeah. part yeah. of their team and yeah. that's in and of itself that that's fine it's just not what I want to be associated yeah, with, yeah. and, and it, it it's not energizing, and it, and it, it doesn't lead to more referrals. It just leads point. to you trying to service it. I mean, regardless of the the amount of revenue they generate, uh, it, it becomes a blockade. It actually it it, it does become an impediment yeah. to growing your business. No, totally. And you're, you're I never hadn't thought about the you can't make those people. Maybe you can't make them happy, or they just don't appreciate you. So it doesn't lead to the same word of mouth mm-hmm. that tremendous service for other people would lead to. So that's really interesting, yeah. So you, 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 you walked the line, you got people going, you started building a practice, and then did you, when was the moment where you're like, I gotta get some more lawyers in here, I need some help? Was it like the first month? <laughs> no, it took, it took a little bit of time. <laughs> I, I, I think I brought on a contractor who I used to work with at Oregon, a contract attorney, a great guy, still a buddy of mine. Um, he lives in Finland now, works at Supercell. But I, I brought I brought him in maybe eight or nine months in. Um, inevitably, you as a solo in particular, you're just like hungry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. And so um, the what you the, the above and beyond level of work that you do, it's it's pretty intense. And so you please a lot of clients and yeah. lead some more and more business. Yeah. Um, well, also they're getting you. They're not getting yeah. kind of you know someone that you've trained or someone who's very smart, but that they feel so they connected feel to so you. They so connected. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so about eight or nine months in, started to piece together some contractors. Still was not necessarily looking toward growing until probably eighteen months in, where it was like, hmm, 
and and you know that 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 vision had evolved. I mean, if you if you talk to me on October tenth, nine days, nine ten days into actually starting the firm, yeah. I would have told you that hey, you know what, I'm just going to work out of my house. Yeah. This is what I want to do. Yeah. But seeing the business grow and then seeing just that that incremental amount of, of success in training the the contractors. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Dave, and then when I, I had brought on Kristen, uh, Kristen Sverchek, uh as a contractor, mm-hmm. and you know, she's an incredible talent. And, and but seeing the way that you could leverage talent was like, hmm, maybe this is something. Maybe. It's like the people who you bring on and they take things way above and beyond, or run with things that you never had to think about, or yeah. just extend the brand that you're trying to create. It's a really magical feeling. It's, really it, it, cool. it's incredible. And that, yeah. that, I caught that bug. Yeah. It, you know, after working with them, I was like, well, we got to do something. Yeah. Looking back, what do you, what do you think they saw in you or what was so attractive? Cause you, you're hiring like two amazing talented contractors. Then you went on to build, we'll get into like how big you guys are and the firm you built today. But like, what, what was it like just looking in the mirror for a second being like, what, why did they want to join? What do you think? Don't be modest. Yeah. It's okay to it's okay to say yeah. like, "Hey, I was a good attorney and I had a lot of energy." I, I'm very handsome. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> you, you yeah. are. You are. <laughs> but I I honestly think um, if there's one thing that stands up that I stand apart uh, from others that are in my space, it's authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you when you meet me, you know that I mean it. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. This this is what I, I truly care about. Yeah. And it, it flows to not only client service, but when I want to bring someone on to the firm and um, the way that I view developing people. Yeah. And, and it, there's just a realness to that. Yeah. Whereas I'm not sure others have that truly genuine uh, you know sense of authenticity that yeah. comes across and I think that's why you know there's definitely people that are smarter than me there's people that are more polished than I am there's people that are, are better business people there's people who are better at biz dev but I, I would say with confidence that I, I, I believe I'm the most authentic yeah. startup lawyer so it's funny you say that word because I really believe in authenticity too and I think we do like Vanessa and I's personality but like it's so much more fun to just be yourself and good yeah. and bad. Like you're gonna make, you might make mistakes because oh, yeah. you're not more cautious. Or but like, people do really pick up on that. And as a, as you were saying that, I was thinking about like the best venture capitalists and the best founders mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley. And like, they're all like that, warts and all, right? They're yeah. all like the positives obviously outweigh the negatives. But like, they're just who they are. That's how they've gone to that place of comfort with themselves. Mm-hmm. And and you kind of meld who you are as a person and who and your skill technical skills, and then you become like this this. Like amazing force. It's really cool. And and you know, there's there's a, a level of maturation that has to yeah. take place with that. Oh. You know, I mean, I've definitely yeah. like I'm, I, I've learned to improve my communication with people. Um, but I, a lot of times too, I'm you know, I'm not afraid to burn bridges. Yeah. Uh, I I'm not afraid to just uh, spout off if I have to. Uh, you know, I've got a call this afternoon uh, where a client's former employee who has some stock is making all kinds of reasonable, unreasonable demands about information and holding an annual stockholder meeting and all this nonsense. <laughs> and my response was like, yeah, I remember this guy. Total fucking whack job. You know, I, I mean, just, yeah, I, I wasn't going to sugarcoat it, you know. And I, I think people appreciate that. Yeah. That I'm, I'm, there's a certain, I think, emotional attachment 
that I have to my clients and yeah. my firm. Well, they appreciate um, that you're, you're on their side too. You're yeah. like you're doing that, and you're an advocate for them. You know, so that's really cool. So okay, so and, and I have a bunch of things to ask you, but like fast forward, who you guys are today? Like you guys, I mean, you guys have built a really great firm. It's it's really impressive. <laughs> it's been crazy. Yeah. Uh, now we, you know, now it's a team of uh, forty three. Wow. With presence in Denver and Los Angeles as well. You know, it's a it's a different game now. Yeah. You know, it is. It's so much more people focused now. Uh, it's it's how do we really empower a team to deliver in accordance with those client service ideals that started this firm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's it's 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 an incredible challenge. It's so much fun. Uh, it's it's the best of the best and the worst of the worst. It's the, the emotional highs and lows. <laughs> Um, I, I get, I'm laughing because I can totally relate. We have the same thing. I think you guys are farther along than we are, maybe like um, in, as an institution, mm-hmm. and that, some of that stuff we'll we'll cover. But like, I really like how you've thought about systematizing your processes and making it easy for people to get indoctrinated in the culture. You have to, and yeah. it, it's you know I think that that can be something that gets overlooked. Yeah, you you see it, you know, as companies scale, like your clients scale. Uh, Even us ourselves, we've made mistakes on that. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. And, and I we love learning from the mistakes. It's it's very funny. I I, I always say you know to uh, my other partners or senior associates or department heads on the staff, you know when when we have a misstep or something goes wrong and someone's down about it, I'm like, listen, every good thing that ever has happened at Silicon Legal has been a function of a mistake. Yeah. It, and we learned and made corrections and and. You kind of need that kick in the butt every yeah. once in a while. You also need, and I totally agree, we're the same way. And it's also helpful to to explain why things are structured the way they are to, to your team or the clients. Oh, yeah. Like I had one of those today where a client didn't understand why we needed like source material from the bank. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, it'd be really easy. To, it'd be really easy to steal. If you were going to steal money, yeah. the way you would steal money would be not to give us source material. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you're stealing money. I'm just telling you why we want it. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and like, it was actually really helpful. And I had a couple examples of theft that we've seen that mm-hmm. we've caught. And so like that actually really reframed, but like if we hadn't of seen weird stuff and not understood what was happening and then learn mm-hmm. from that mistake, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't know how to explain it to people, you know? And, and that, that whole thing about context, like it providing yeah, context. that to your client, our, our team members, and I think just particularly, you know, young attorneys, young employees coming up, they crave context. Like they, they don't want to be given a piecemeal work assignment. Yeah, yeah. They want to understand, okay, What's, what's the big picture here? Why do we care about this? Why are we pushing so hard to do this? Yeah. And we've made it a priority to make sure that we're delivering as much context as humanly possible yeah. to people all the time. And because you'll find they're more engaged. Yeah. They actually, they want to know. Yeah. And, and when, when they do have that context, they have more of a sense of purpose. Yeah. They, they feel that they're stakeholders in everything from a project to building the firm. Yeah, when it accelerates their career. That's how they get to be in your chair someday, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's at Silicon Legal or another company or whatever. Like, they mm-hmm. they need that context so they can grow. So mm-hmm. I actually think it's really smart of the team members to ask for that and, and mm-hmm. to demand it. It's really cool. Um, you told me some crazy stat that you'd done, like, 2,000 financings or something. Like, you had some amazing – do you mind That's just sharing? in the last five years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Like, so in the last five give people years, a context for how big you guys are. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so just an incredibly active firm, yeah. uh, particularly for a, a you know, boutique slash mid-sized firm. Yeah. 
Uh, over the last five years, we've advised clients, uh, both, invest, both com company side and investor side, in, in well over 2,000 financings. Uh, our clients are backed by tier one VCs. Uh, we were first outside lawyers for Uber, Pinterest, Instagram, uh, early lawyer for Lyft, um, Expensify. Uh, so a, a ton of activity um, on the M&A side in the last five years alone, over 125 M&A transactions. Wow, good for you. Uh, tons of commercial agreements across, across the Fortune 1000. Yeah. Uh, we, we've really realized the importance of, of, of deal flow. Uh, particularly, you know, startup companies, they want to know, okay, what's, what's going on in the market? What's standard? Uh, to be able to point to them and say, yeah, you know, no one's doing this in Series A rounds right now. Why are they asking for this? Or you're negotiating an agreement uh, with Walmart. You know, we've done do four do in the last 18 months. Yeah. Don't ask for this term. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna stonewall you. Yeah. Do not do this. Yeah. Clients, clients want that context. They want those market data points. I think it's, it, the context is so critical, but also you you kind of like lubricate the deal process because you're cutting out steps. Like the venture capitalist on the other side, who's you're, maybe you're, you're representing the startup and the venture capital and the venture capital lawyer, they know that like you know the market and so they cut to the chase, right? Like, or they accept your pushback when you push back on a not great term for your client. Yeah. It just makes it, that, that experience and that kind of top-down view of the market is, is so valuable. It's really cool. Even down to logistics. Yeah. You know, knowing that, oh, I need to, I need to pull some strings or, or get a hold of somebody at Excel. Well, you're going to uh, talk to Rich Z or, or talk to, to Donnie Clay. And or, you probably have their cell phone yeah, and you probably text or, them. Yeah. Or back office, yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, like, you know, knowing who the back office is. Like if you're, if you're doing a deal with Propel and you know, it's a back office, you're going to talk to, to Jurgen. You know? Yeah. So knowing all those, those, those players, I think, provides a comfort. Yeah. Um, that, that clients know that, hey, they're, they're, they're mining the store. They, only, they not only know the market, but they also are, you know, not strangers here. Yeah. And do, what do you, what's your kind of target? Is it like seed series A, series B, or where are you in the spectrum of like your target clients? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's everything from two entrepreneurs in a garage yeah. up to like series D, series E. Oh, wow. So you guys you get know, pretty deep. We definitely do not touch anything public company. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we like to stay with private companies. I would say to think about our sort of representation life cycle is, is we are the general counsel until you get a general counsel. <laughs> And once a, once a client gets a general counsel, then our role shrinks yeah. more to uh, financing corporate governance M&A. Yeah. We're generally not touching the commercial stuff anymore unless it's, you know, they want an outside opinion. I don't know. This is how it is for us. I'm assuming it's for you guys. When that general counsel comes in, I'm sure they're very grateful the company was working with you because everything's documented, everything's oh, yeah. done correctly. It could be like when people, when people come in and they finance or as a, as a legal person, the company, they don't really know. The company could be a total mess or it could be in great shape, you know, after working with you guys. Do you get like that kind of feedback or do you get like people, the, the GC who took your last, the last company that was working with you is now pushing you or telling telling other people in the Valley they should be working with you guys because it's such a good, Definitely. clean environment. We, we get a lot of love for that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we also try to really insert ourselves into the conversation about hiring in-house legal. Mm, that's smart. Like, it, it, you know, for us, it actually makes the most sense. Like once a client starts to hit certain a certain spend, that also is indicative of a lot of activity. Yeah. And you can get to a point where, hey, you know what? It doesn't make sense for us to, to, to be doing everything for you. You know, we absolutely want to maintain the relationship as counsel of record and, and doing the doing the financings, you know, being at the board meetings. But, you know, 
we should be intelligent about this yeah. because it may be like, hey, you, you're doing so many contracts every yeah. day that require an incredible turnaround. It, it's not helpful for you. It just wears you guys it out. It wears too. us yeah. down. The, we can, the relationship can be tarnished. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we have the know. same exact experience. And the interesting thing for us is we have a hard time getting the CEOs to realize they need to hire that full-time person. Mm -hmm. It's always like three months too late, no matter what, because they're like so happy and they're like, no, this is working, this is working, and you guys are at a great cost point. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's, it's actually getting stressful for us because mm -hmm. it, of so many moving parts. Totally, totally. That's, that's a really interesting. So talking about the team, one of the things that caught my attention when we were at lunch was you have this incredible playbook for continuity when people come into your firm mm -hmm. and they're gonna start taking on clients. They come in cold, they're a new hire. Yeah. Can you kind of talk about that process? Yeah, it, it, it stems from a desire to have just an incredibly well-baked onboarding process. Yeah. Um, I had read somewhere, maybe it was in the first round capital reviews, something uh, talking about when someone first joins your company is when they're the most excited and engaged they could possibly ever yeah. be. Yeah. And so take advantage of that. Yeah. And so not only very strong onboarding, onboarding on the sort of organizational side, what's, what life is like at, at Silicon Legal, but on the, on the company side, really trying to promote that. And it also helps, it helps from a client perspective too, because I know our clients have very limited tolerance for reinventing the wheel, uh, re repetitive, you know, teaching, education, education yeah, yeah. you know. And so what we do is, is when a new attorney or paralegal is, is joining the firm, in the weeks before they're joining, uh, we get together and look at the existing client teams and say, okay, where do we need someone? Uh, where would they fit in best? Yep. And we generally staff them on you know, between 10 and 12 client teams before they've even started. We add them to our client team email handles. Yep. So they join seeing an inbox that has a lot of emails so they start to pick context. up context. Yeah. We put together this uh, sheet that is clients, what they do, uh, venture financing history, um, who is who are uh, the main contacts at, at the company? Yep. Uh, what's on tap uh, that we've recently done and, and will be doing in the yeah. next you know month or so? Yeah. Uh, then we prepare these binders that are um, you know going digital now, thank God, but uh, that are <laughs> background articles on the company. Oh wow! As well as background like LinkedIn profiles and articles. For the contacts. Yeah. That's huge. That's so smart because then you know what their work experience is and where they're coming from. So when you're first starting, you get a sense and dive in. Yeah. And then the last thing we do is we uh, have a, uh, then an in-person meeting with the client team. Oh, nice. Where you, you know, we run through a checklist of items, but also talk about quirks. You yeah. know, oh, they hired this new uh, head of ops. He's kind of weird. Yeah. Here's what you got to look out for. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. oh, you know what? This is the one where... You know, they, they fired already two of the co-founders or this one board member is is a little bit difficult to deal with. So they're, they're kind of like the, the inside scoop yep. of the client. That's so smart. And then that, that way the knowledge gets transferred throughout the firm. People can pick up faster. Mm -hmm. They're more, you know, they're more productive faster. They're probably happier faster because they're yeah. contributing. That anxiety, I we have a dedicated onboarding process too. And I always pick up on people want to do such a good job mm -hmm. that they have that anxiety. So if you can help them contribute quickly, mm -hmm. it gets rid of that and they're just happier. It enables them to take on projects quicker. Yeah. And, and yeah, because I think that 
there is that that anxiety about it. Am I contributing? Yeah. It's it's sort of I don't wouldn't say counterintuitive, but it's like wow, you know, you need to make sure not only are you onboarding them correctly, but you're giving them an opportunity to make a pretty quick impact. Themselves, yeah. Because people immediately feel like I'm useless. Yeah. I, what what am I doing here? Yeah. You know, even if it's like we're like in the back of our minds, we're like, hey, dude. You only been here for a week. It's totally cool. Yeah, but they get nervous. You know, I, t- I feel that one too. Also, you know, the other. I just thought of this, but like, there's a little bit of you want them to be able to prove themselves to their teammates quickly, so they can get more work and be more. Because yeah. like, we've had times where um, pe- sometimes people didn't want to hand off stuff because they were a little bit risk averse yeah. to the new person, and we're like, no, 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 the new person's here to help you. Like, let's let's get them going. So getting them contributing quickly really helps with that. And, and that's a good point. We actually developed something around that with respect to uh, senior associates. When we bring on a new senior associate, uh, the, the analogy is, is the sort of um, West Point graduate who is going to lead a, a 20-year staff sergeant, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The West Point graduate is a higher rank. Know, yeah. they, they haven't been there. Yeah. And so uh, we, we had this, uh, developed this process called senior shadow. So when a senior associate joins, then another senior associate acts as their shadow to like, so if you're, if you're a new senior associate, you don't want to ask some dumb question that every other mid-level or junior associate already knows about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so someone you can talk to to make sure, because in those initial days, you have to build that trust with a team. Yeah. And somebody who's like been with us for four years and is like a badass mid-level associate is like... Dude, I, what? You know, so you, you want to be, how do we create processes and, and that information sharing for those more senior folks, but who are newer employees to be able to establish that gravitas? Yeah, that's right. We, we have a buddy system, which is like that. Mm-hmm. And you get paired with like someone at their level and it, does, it just makes it so much faster. It's mm-hmm. so much better. Um, that's really, the, the, the continuity stuff is amazing. Um, couple, couple hypotheticals. Mm-hmm. Um, what is like, when a startup gets an inbound M&A offer interest, like how do you how do you coach them through that? Like what are the things that come to your mind when all of a sudden the, the big boys or maybe a later stage very well-funded company wants to buy a Series A, Series B company? How do you think about that? A couple different angles. Yeah. You know, a couple different things to think about. Um, you know, one is think about where this fits in terms of your your overall life cycle of the company. Yeah. You know, where where are you right now? Yeah. Uh, are you at a point where yeah, we're, we need to we need a soft landing here? Yeah. Or are you at a point where hey, you've just raised around and there's a lot of excitement there. Um, so have in your mind because I think a lot of times these transactions can have an inertia mm-hmm. where sometimes just completing the deal just becomes important yeah. as a as a standalone concept, yeah. divorced from uh, is this a good deal or is not? Right? Yeah, yeah. Is this right for the companies? Is this right for the stockholders? Is this right for the employees? Yeah. And so I, I think having taking a deep breath, yeah. you know, and and um, of course it's flattering, it's exciting, but stepping back from that and figure out where does this really fit for us because. Yeah. You're going to start to get into something yeah. that has a, a like a mind of its own, yeah. a, a, an inertia of its own. Distracting makes it harder to run the business. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. Oof. I mean that the the it's taking you away from everything. Yeah. It's all encompassing, yeah. you know. So that that's one. I think two is and maybe sort of after after you've made a decision that we're probably going somewhere down this path. I think two is definitely to have a, a grasp on. 
your board, your stakeholders, how this thing will be will be sort of uh, uh, socialized with folks to know what you're sort of dealing with. Can you say more? I think I know where you're going with that, but maybe, or maybe like some hype, like different different viewpoints from different board members. Mm -hmm. Like you know, like what are some things you've seen? Well, I mean, you're, you're you're potentially in a situation where you have people that have bought into the company at different valuations. Yeah. Uh, you where you have investors who are different stages in their career yeah. who are like. I'm the young gun VC, I need to get an exit on my resume, yeah. or someone who's like, I don't care, yeah. I've, done, I've done 15 of these, yeah. I, don't, I don't care, I don't care. Yeah. And so knowing how those stakeholders are gonna behave, uh, knowing how your team's gonna behave, how you know critical key employees, how the overall team is, is going to react, and employees, particularly if, it, if it's one where the acquirer really wants to have a, you know, everyone join them, yeah. you know, how, how would they react to that? Yeah. So understanding those those stakeholders because you're going to have a lot of discussions you're going to be managing those people you're going to be managing their expectations there are going to be factors of the deal which feel likely feel unfair to certain members of the team um, that you're going to have to get over the hump you know basically as you've seen basically in any deal regardless of what the uh, charter docs or Delaware codes telling you about approvals the acquirer is going to want 90 plus percent sign off uh, from stockholders, and so you've got um, and yeah. management properly incentivized, yeah. fully on board. They don't want to buy a, a leaky boat, you know, kind of thing. So, so you've got a lot there yeah. to to manage. So that's the second part. I think the third part is when you're going down thinking about negotiating. I think a, a, a big mistake that a lot of founders attempt to do is sort of attempt try to get into some apples to apples comparison about how these deals work and uh, I, I helped my, my partner Gorov Amather and I helped as editors for Ezra Roizen's book the, Ma the magic box paradigm it talks about private company M&A okay. which really is a it's its own animal it's so hard. this is not typical investment banking like uh, comparable companies yeah. every uh, big buyer is looking for something different yeah. And it's really understanding how, how to navigate those waters and how to really figure out what they want, what they're trying to buy. Is this, is this a build versus buy scenario? Are they trying to buy the team? Are they failed um, internally and, and this is their last option? What's going on there? Understanding how to navigate corp dev, yeah. knowing that particularly, you know, the vast majority of our M&A transactions are, are not $500 you know, million, dollar, billion dollar deals. So when you're talking about sub hundred million dollar M&A, it's important for you, but to you know the corp dev at Palo Alto Networks, like you know, so it's how do you? It's not a yeah. yeah, and so I think those are three things that folks really need to to keep in mind uh, in the in the process, and so it, it's really it, it can be really fun. Yeah. It, it's fun to guide them. It's cool to be because we do a ton of M&A too. I don't think we we're averaging two a month now, but and we just had two in the last two weeks, but like, I love, I think this is probably how you are, I love being kind of the guy through the process on the financial side, and we rely on good lawyers, like, you've got to have a good lawyer oh, through this process, there's just, it's actually, the legal side is actually harder than the finance side, yep. but having people like you who can walk them through, and especially when things get heated, and kind of talk everybody down is, is incredibly valuable. And I think, I think a, a big part of that is that, um, again, they, they, there will just be many moments where someone feels wronged. Yeah. Um, they, the, there could be sort of a frenetic pace. The, the changes in the deal terms. Yep. There, your, your company, particularly if it's a, if it's a larger deal, uh, your company is 
operating. Yeah. And so it's like, shit, man, if they see this month's financials, we got to close this thing now. <laughs> they see we miss, if they see we missed the quarter, oh my God. Well, I, we've kind of run over here. So I have like five more questions to answer, ask you, but um, thank you for coming. Maybe yeah. give the quick pitch on, uh, on Silicon Legal. And I think people should know, like we, we've kind of, we discovered who, how big of a player you were by looking at the data. And so the awesome thing about you guys is like you walk, you walk the talk. Like you, we can see all the clients you're working with mm-hmm. and how active you are. But maybe give everyone just a quick refresher on you and then um, I'll let you go because I know you've got to go sure. or, or pass the time. You know, I, I, I think that Silicon Legal brings something just incredibly exciting to the market. Um, and we realize the importance of client service yeah. in the technology space. Yeah. And we think that we provide the very best client service experience in, in bringing together a unique combination that no one else does. Yeah. Uh, this, this combination of ultra responsive, high touch, hands-on service yeah. of a smaller firm that's small enough to care about you yeah. with the seasoned experience of a large firm that comes from having world-class deal flow and a world-class team. Yeah. And then topping it off with a, a bottom line oriented, no nonsense approach that comes from the fact that we're not just coaching entrepreneurs, we are entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, and we're going through the same things our clients are going through. Yeah. You know, we're, we're trying to build a motivated team, create repeatable processes, deal with technology infrastructure issues, fire people. I terminated someone uh, half an hour before I came yeah. to this interview. Oh. Been uh, there. Yeah. Living that reality, again, yeah. not, not just coaching or providing advice, but actually living it yeah. forces us to live, deliver legal advice in a different way. Yeah. And I think it really resonates with clients. And, and that unique combination is something that no one else in Silicon Valley yeah. is truly bringing to the table. Yeah. Well, that, I love that. Congrats on everything you built. And you're oh, the real you. deal. And I look forward to working with you for many, many years. I'll thank, save thank, here. Thank, save Andre. Here. thank right, you, Andre. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that episode of Founders and Friends Podcast. Quick shout out to Brex, the first startup credit card. Brex is our sponsor and we really appreciate their support. Brex has no personal guarantee for founders. That's a really big deal. It integrates really nicely with QuickBooks. Great rewards that are startup-centric. It's a really nice little tool, and we are seeing it uh, all across the Cruise uh, portfolio of clients. So check it out. And again, if you go through the sign-up flow and type in Cruise, you get a discount. So hopefully you'll check out Brex. Thanks again for the support on the podcast, guys. Take care.